Seiya Suzuki. When the lockout ends, are the Giants in play for his services? He's very uh, clearly the best player in Japan. He's been posted uh, by his Japanese team, and he's going to sign here in the United States, and the Giants make a lot of sense. So we're going to get to that question and so many others, including could the Giants spend some money in creative ways this offseason? So we'll get to all of that next on today's Locked on Giants. You are Locked on Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide episodes three days a week for now, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Thank you for getting us to 1,000 subscribers in just a couple of months. That is a, yeah, I mean, thank you is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, coming up on today's show, it is a mailbag uh, edition of Locked on Giants, and we'll just jump right in. The first question, first question said in two different ways, one by Matt in Maine, who says, is Seiya Suzuki actually possible, and does it make sense for the Giants? And Soilari asks, do do you think the Giants could land Seiya Suzuki? And the short answer is absolutely yes, I do. And he might make more sense than just about any player out there right now. And the reason for that is many-fold. Number one, how about Farhan Zaidi said that they're basically looking for an outfielder who's right-handed with good at-bat quality and power. And I think that Seiya Suzuki, for the longest time, I couldn't find any kind of projection for him. But this projection system called ATC, which is featured on Fangraphs, they do have a projection that's come up for Suzuki. And yeah, I mean, he meets that criteria based on uh, this projection. Obviously, it is tough for me to stand here and say what to expect out of a guy who, you know, the numbers are from Japan. It's hard to translate exactly what that's going to be at the major league level. But it looks like you're looking at power. It looks like you're looking at an ability to make contact and not strike out and good at bat quality. The projection here is for a 12% walk rate, which is significantly better than average. So, yeah, I mean, currently... So that so Farhan Farhan Zaidi said that about wanting you know right-handed hitter. Think about the fact that they lost Buster Posey to retirement. Chris Bryant has walked away. All of a sudden, you you don't have those two bats in your lineup. They need something. They got to do something. And I think Seiya Suzuki makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of upside, possibly beyond the contract he's likely to get, because these contracts have to take into account. The considerable risk that comes with a player who's quote unquote unproven, right, at the major league level. And so I think that there would be, it would be a reasonable contract. Whereas we've seen that Chris Bryant could be seeking, you know, $200 million over 
eight years. And, and we didn't actually see that he would be seeking that. But there was a prediction by, I think, MLB trade rumors that that was the contract. No, excuse me. It was Fangraphs that said that was the contract he was going to get. Whereas for Seiya Suzuki, we've looked at predictions by MLB trade rumors, ESPN, and Fangraphs. And the range on the low end, Fangraph says four years, 40 million. And MLB trade rumors on the high end says five years, 55 million. So the the mean here from these three predictions is an $11 million average annual value over four or five years. So 444, 555, something in that range. And I just think it makes a lot of sense. It actually reminds me for some reason of when the Dodgers signed AJ Pollock. Uh, I think it, it's a similar kind of contract. Pollock got five years, $60 million. So a little bit more than $11 million per year. But I don't know. I, I don't know exactly why that, that that stands out. I just, what what remind, what it reminds me of is that Farhan Zaidi was the general manager there in LA when they signed AJ Pollock. And he was supposed to be like an everyday guy, but the thing is, if it doesn't quite work out and he needs to be more of a platoon guy, the money is not outrageous to the point where that uh, doesn't make any sense. It's not going to break the bank completely to the point where even if the player declines, even if certain skill sets erode, that you wouldn't want to play them uh, or, or you're just paying them much more than the value they'd be producing. I think there's they just like this type of contract, I think, where it's uh, there's some risk to it, but there's also a lot of reward to it. And so I think he makes sense for that reason. I think he makes sense uh, being a West Coast team. He's said to possibly prefer teams that have spring training facilities in Arizona as, oppo- as opposed to Florida. He said the Giants are one of the teams that he met with uh, via Zoom when the when the lockout or excuse me right before the lockout and so and then last thing I'll say is Peter Gammons uh, legendary baseball reporter said that he polled general managers and the consensus is that the Giants are the favorites to get him so I absolutely think that he a makes sense b it's realistic and c they may be one of the more likely teams to end up with him so if they don't I'd be, I'll be very curious to see what they end up doing to address what they said, which was, you know, right-handed hitter. We we circled Mark Canna as a possibility that kind of fit that criteria. We circled Tommy Pham, who's still out there. Nick Castellanos, maybe. Uh, Castellanos, impact bat, but questionable defensively. We circled Starling Marte. So... A lot of guys have signed, but not the ones I just mentioned. So we shall see, but definitely a name to watch when the lockout eventually ends. So yeah, coming up next, more questions and answers. We are going to talk about uh, the Giants potentially spending money in an unorthodox way, actually a way that they've done in the past under this front office, but it's not just going out there and signing free agents, but it's still a way to make the team better. So we'll talk about what that possibility is and if I think it's possible or likely that they'll do it again. But first, it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. 
Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar, and they make it easier to stick to your resolution for that reason. Because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky, waxy, or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, it just gets so boring. By now, you might be thinking, this just isn't worth it, where's the chocolate? Well, I have good news for you. Built Bars are covered in a an 100% real chocolate. Most bars contain 130 calories and just 4 grams of sugar to go along with 17 grams of protein. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, here we go. More mailbag questions. The next question I thought was very interesting. I know where it's coming from. I I first saw this question in a uh, mailbag that Andy, no, Grant Brisby did for The Athletic about a week ago or so, sometime last week. Uh, The question was about the Giants taking on another team's bad contract in order to buy players, you know, in order to, to, you know, the idea is you take on a contract that is underwater that they don't want, and in exchange, they add on a player that you do want. And maybe you still have to give something else up, but it's lessened because you're taking on the money. And it's a way that teams that are willing to spend money to get better can really get... It's a great thing if your team is willing to do this. And the Giants have shown a willingness to do this in the past. I don't think what stopped them from doing it again has been an unwillingness to do it. I think that it's kind of a rare situation in which another team is willing to be on the other end of this. It's a really bad deal if your team is the one uh, saying, take this money from us and we'll give you good players. That is like the worst thing you can experience as a fan, I would say, because your team is just getting worse only to save money. And that is not a good thing. Uh, But thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms. So the question is from Mac, who says, I see a lot of, quote, Giants are unwilling to spend, but can can they take on a bad contract for a player they want, not losing prospects? But they can take on a bad contract for a player they want, not losing prospects. What would a logical deal look like? What teams, for example, Mike Moustakis, cost money, left-handed platoon partner for Longoria, and Tyler Malley or Luis Castillo, the starting pitchers, two starting pitchers we have mentioned a lot as potential trade targets for the Giants. So I think that you actually hit on probably the best example of any team, like you're asking what teams, the Reds probably make more sense than just about any team in a in a hypothetical like this. And the reason is they have publicly, not just to other GMs, but publicly stated that they need to, to shed payroll. Their GM uh, said in November that they must, quote, align our payroll to our resources. So what that meant, I mean, it's just a huge, bright, flashing signal that they need to shed money and they're willing to get creative to do so. They did, they've already done a couple of things that uh, fall into this criteria. They 
They uh, put Wade Miley on waivers after he had a really good season for the Reds, and they got nothing for him. They uh, he didn't make it far on the waiver wire. The Cubs claimed him. Uh, first, they go the player who's been put on waivers goes through National League teams, and it goes from worst to best. And the Cubs did not have a very good record in 2021. So, for all we know, a lot of teams claimed Wade Miley, but the Cubs won that claim, and they just took him. The Reds just said here, have him. And uh, a $10 million salary, I think, was what it was. And that's the Reds were just looking to get rid of it, even though he had a good season for them. And then they traded popular catcher Tucker Barnhart, who had a club option for $7.5 million. And they just said, hey, we we can't afford to pick that up. So anyway, the idea of Mike Moustakis, who's owed $16 million in 2022, and 18 million in 2023 in order to to kind of buy whether it's Luis Castillo or Tyler Malley or Sonny Gray makes a lot of sense although it's that's a lot to to take on that is a bad contract for Mike Moustakis right now after a couple of very bad years I mean in 2021 I guess he was hurt a lot of the time I think he had a heel or an Achilles thing going on but not productive when he was on the field. And yeah, I mean, he's owed quite a bit of money over two years. So if the Giants said, look, we're willing to take on that entire contract, then yeah, they the Reds probably should give up either Tyler Malley or Luis Castillo, even though those pitchers are quite good. And so I'm not sure that the Reds would even want to do that. It's a little bit extreme even for them. But yeah, if you were willing to take on that Moustakis contract to any degree, or Shogo Akiyama, as someone mentioned uh, in response to you on Twitter, absolutely, there's a there's a way to work out a deal like that, potentially. It, it could be that you take on half of the money owed to Moustakis and you give them some kind of decent prospect. Even that might be a little bit too much for the Giants to give up. But Luis Castillo in particular, I would be excited about getting. Uh, Tyler Malley, too. They're both good, and, and that's why this is intriguing. Another possible team is the Oakland A's. The A's are in one of those phases where they're looking to kind of shed some salary and and trade some good players. I think the A's are a little bit kind of smarter about how they operate, and they would want to be getting something back, I would imagine. That's why the Reds probably make the most sense, because they clearly want to get rid of some money. And by the way, the other time the Giants did this was in the first offseason under Zaidi. They took on uh, Zach Cozart's contract from the Angels, and in exchange, the Angels gave the Giants their first-round pick from that summer, Will Wilson. And yeah, so the Giants, they had to give up like some player, but he wasn't a well-known player. I can't even remember who it is. But basically, they bought a prospect in Will Wilson by taking on that money. So they've shown a willingness to do it before, and absolutely, there's no reason why they couldn't or shouldn't do it again. And I said this earlier, but I want to repeat it. The reason we haven't seen more of this, I don't think, is because the Giants just became less willing to do it. I think it's more so that it's kind of rare to find a team that is willing to shoot itself in the foot in this particular manner. But sometimes, you know, maybe the GM is just under orders from the owner. You need to get rid of a lot of this payroll by any means necessary. And so at the end of the day, the GMs and all that, they work for the owners. And if the owners are most interested in just saving money, uh, cutting costs, 
then sometimes the GMs have no choice. And so the Giants absolutely should take advantage of this if these opportunities are out there. And I believe that they will because they have in the past, in the not so distant past as well. Anyway, the next question comes from uh, Masters Gaming, who asks, why is everyone saying they are cutting payroll? And by everyone, I mean all the beat writers, okay, the Bay Area, and nationally. Yeah, I mean, currently their payroll is projected to be at about $126 million. And if they went into the season like this, then yeah, it's a substantial drop-off from the roughly $160 million payroll they had in 2021 they were at uh in in as recently as 2019 they were at 186 million and in 2018 about 200 million so these would be big drop-offs but the thing that i keep saying is the offseason isn't over i don't understand why we need to judge them for their spending before we know what they're going to spend they don't start paying you know cutting these checks until the season starts and so I don't really have a ton of interest in uh, getting all caught up in the Giants spending. And also the fact that they've spent about $99.4 million this offseason. Yes, a lot of it was bringing back players who became free agents, but uh, giving the, they've used the qualifying offer aggressively to players among the only players who've accepted the qualifying offer, Kevin Gosman and Brandon Belt, I think are two of three who've accepted the qualifying offer in the last couple years. And they also signed Brandon Crawford to an extension. They signed Alex Wood to a two-year contract. They signed Anthony DiScofani to a three-year contract. Alex Cobb got a two-year contract. So they've spent a lot of money this winter. A lot of it is just bringing back players they already had, but it's also not over. So you're not going to see me getting too wrapped up in that. We'll talk about uh, the the final numbers once they're final, but in the meantime, it's kind of a waste of time, in my opinion, to to kind of get worked up about their spending when we don't even know what it's going to be. So anyway, coming up next, more questions and answers. We're going to talk about expectations for Lamont Wade Jr. Uh, after he struggled down the stretch, kind of under the radar maybe to some, and also uh, how about some forty man players on the chopping block if and when the Giants add more players after the lockout ends. So stay tuned for that. But first, uh, there might be less football being played, but Bet Online has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, scores, totals, player performance, props, to where to find uh, where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started. And it's not just football. BetOnline's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on your favorite sports, and play your favorite games. Bet online where the game starts. All right, as promised, more questions and answers. The next question comes from Logan, who says, what are your expectations for Lamont Wade Jr. this year? I am a little down on him based on his last two months of 2021. Not sure if that is just a prolonged slump or if pitchers figured him out 
and that is just who he is now. So this is an interesting question, one that you know we haven't really been asked a lot on this show, and I'm kind of in agreement with you. There were definitely some signs of slowing down as the season went on, and so I think that he's more of a complementary player. They really mostly put him in a platoon situation throughout the year, and if you're just playing in a platoon, you really have limited upside to an extent. He did get his first ever hit against a left-handed pitcher at some point in 2021, but his career numbers against lefties, he's got a weighted runs created plus of six. Uh, Batting average is 104. On base percentage, 204. Slugging, 146. This is obviously a small sample of 56 plate appearances but the strikeout rate is north of 30% and the walk rate is just 5.4%. So it's bad signs there. But against right-handed pitching, the numbers are just so much better. Career 344 on base, 491 slugging. That's a He's got a 230 isolated power. Strikeout rate is a much more reasonable 20.5%. Walk rate is above 10%. So I view him as a guy who's going to continue to get a lot of opportunities, probably uh, including one, you know, to start the season. Like if they're facing a right-handed pitcher on opening day, I would expect Wade Jr. to be in that lineup. But also, I think when there's a lefty on the mound, he's just not going to be in there, and it, he'll have to earn his way into those opportunities. It reminds me a little bit of Mike Yastrzemski. I think that uh, maybe fans right off the bat, if you hear that, aren't uh, in agreement because you think Yastrzemski's got a higher ceiling. And that may be, but maybe to me that has more to do with uh, base running and defense, both of which Yastrzemski is quite good at. But in terms of the bat, think about Yastrzemski. I mean, uh, overall in his career, I think he's done better. But what happened for Mike Yastrzemski in 2021? Well, it was a struggle for him pretty much all season. And I think that that's kind of the new baseline that I would expect for Yastrzemski, to an extent, what I'm, what I actually mean is that the projection systems kind of see 2021 as what to expect from him, and it was a long period, right? It was one of the, it was his first like legitimately full season, and it was some good, some bad. Mostly, it seemed like he was kind of struggling, and that pitchers had a way to attack him. And I just view Wade Jr. as the same kind of fine complimentary player, someone who can really help your team as one of 26, but he's not going to be to me like a, you know, an anchor of your roster for years and years and and someone who's just going to play every day and be a star, basically a complimentary player, but someone who in the right roles can just really make a difference. And that's what we've uh, that's what we saw. I mean, he he contributed to a 107-win team, and so did Yaz. And there really weren't that many guys just completely carrying the load. Maybe Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Logan Webb, Kevin Gosman. But everyone else just chipped in, and I just viewed Wade as a guy who's going to continue to chip in. What was most surprising was the power. He showed big power, hit 18 home runs and just 381 plate appearances, And the big question when the Giants acquired him in that trade was whether he was ever going to hit for power. And so I remain intrigued, but it did seem as the season went on 
and in the playoffs that he kind of got figured out a little bit. And that's exactly what it seemed like with Yaz. And so these two guys, I'm going to be very interested to see what their 2022 seasons look like. And it will say a lot about what to expect from them for the rest of their careers based on what they do in 2022. I just need more data because I think both guys have something to prove still at this point. So the last question comes from Brandon Belt's left thumb, who asks, what players on the 40-man are on the chopping block and or trade bait to make room for free agent signings after the lockout ends? Yeah, I mean, this is a good question, one that we always have to consider when we are talking about acquiring players. It always, of course, does mean that certain players come off of your roster. And so the Giants 40-man roster, according to Roster Resource, currently stands at 39. So I'm trying to pull up the the 40-man roster as I'm speaking here, but currently at 39. So that means they could add one more player without having to do anything. And as I scroll through their 40-man roster, it's a good thing that there aren't that many obvious candidates to be on the chopping block. But uh, let's see. I mean, looking through the pitchers, I don't really even see anybody outside of maybe Hunter Harvey and perhaps John Brebbia, uh, who could be on the chopping block. But in terms of the trade block, I think Tyler Beatty could be on the trade block. He is out of options. And so the Giants could be compelled to trade him because he's out of options. And there are several players who are actually out of options as we switch to the position player side. Mauricio Dubon, I believe, is out of minor league options as well. So is Tyro Estrada. I don't think Estrada is on the block as much as uh, Dubon. And Jalen Davis is kind of in limbo. And is he ever going to get that opportunity? Austin Dean is on the 40 men, certainly could be on uh, the chopping block. Steven Duggar is out of minor league options. That could compel them to make a trade. And that's pretty much it. Those are the guys I'm going to mention uh, as the the most obvious on the chopping or trade block. So hopefully that gives you the insight you're looking for. Some of them, I think, would be trades and some of them potentially DFA candidates, perhaps Austin Dean and others among them. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs, hosted by your boy Q with expert insight and analysis from Lee Sterling. Locked on Bets is free and available on all platforms as well. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. I can't wait to be with you again next week. We're going to get to more mailbag questions that we had uh, left over from today. And hopefully there's more lockout uh, progress as well to report on next week. Anyway, have a great weekend. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Stay locked on Giants.